some reason. I got up in the morning, my eyes opened, and there was life. Got up, went to work, was on time, really didn't think of much because I just knew to stop breathing. But I got up, and several weeks later at work, when I was stocking the shelves, you know, I noticed that I wasn't breathing. I wasn't holding my breath or anything like that. It's just the fact I wasn't breathing. You know, I mentioned that to a doctor, you know, later on, but he said, oh, no, you were breathing because if you weren't, you, you would know it. But I went to a place to, you know, try some, you know, try, you know, more natural medicine, the acupuncture, but, you know, it was, it was expensive going there, you know, twice a week and it just very little bit. So I stopped because it was so expensive. But then I'm not sure how long be between when I stopped. It was probably, oh, maybe even two or three years after I stopped. I was laying in bed and I was, my chest felt like it was being stitched together. Hmm. Like, you know, it was just being mended. And so I can only attribute that to Hashem because once once it stopped, you know, my my breathing started, you know, really started back again. Hmm. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. We'll go to Kristen and then we'll we'll uh, be done with these for this morning. Uh, so Kristen. Um. Several years ago, I had a, a very powerful um, healing happen. It was um, right, right, right in the middle of the fall feast. And um, uh, I was scared of my own shadow. Um, you know, I had a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress and, and fears and um, God reminded me that he is bigger than anything I could be afraid of. Mm -hmm. And by being so scared, I wasn't trusting him. And so um, I, I surrendered to him and trusted him. And I, I still have some fears but they don't rule my life like they used to. And um, I'm, I thank God that it happened uh, before my mom passed away. So she could, she was able to see how much God had changed my life. Mm -hmm. And um, from, from the way people describe me before to how I am now, it's, it's night and day. So, um, I thank God for that, and I thank God for all of the ladies that were praying with me, for me that day. Yeah, for those who have known Kristen for a long time, just the fact that she's here um, is pretty amazing, uh, and because there was a tremendous change in your life. Then um, when you when you, re you you mentioned the word you surrendered, you, you did um, 
you surrendered all to, to Yeshua. You were immersed again during those fall feasts, and and there was a there was a change. Just God took over that in your life, and He He healed. You know, and this wasn't a physical, specifically a physical healing. And we're we're not just talking about physical healings here. We're talking about mental and emotional wounds as well, um, or spiritual wounds too, um, that that receive healing. Um, so not just physical. So. Um, I, I appreciate that you spoke to that testimony this morning. Praise God for that. Um, and, and, I, and we love seeing you here every week. Um, it, is, it is such a blessing. So thank you for that. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Well, uh, we, as, as Zach mentioned uh, at the beginning of, his, of the service today, we are in the Hebrew month of Elul right now um, as we're preparing for the fall feast, which begins in just two weeks now. Um, as, as we said, in two weeks we will be, weather permitting, we will be at Cedric County Park um, for our service in the morning. Um, we'll have Oneg there as well. So that's, that's the season that we're in. This is the season that calls for repentance or teshuva. Okay? Um, this is a, a time when uh, normative Jews would say, um, or have an understanding of, of trying to have their name written in the book of life for one more year. Okay? Um, so they're, they're trying to get right with, with people or get right with God um, for that. And um, that's, that's their understanding. We know, and praise God, that those of us who believe in Yeshua, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life forever. Hallelujah. It's, it's not dependent year after year whether or not we make repentance right now at this time. Um, this is, it's not, not like that. But this is, there, there's never a bad time to focus on repentance. There's never a bad time. Um, there's never a bad time to focus on teshuva. Uh, but there is good times, and it's and so this is a good season for us to to consider it. Um, there's a good there's a, a good reason for us to spend some intentional time in introspection. I think you mentioned that word, Zach, as well. It, some intentional time in that soul searching. So I'm not going to go into teshuva really. I, I taught on that a couple of years ago. Um, I actually reposted it this week, um, both online on our Facebook. And and on in our app on your phone. So if you want to go back and listen to that, that's a, quite a more in-depth teaching on teshuva itself. Um, so I'm not going to go into that right now, into a deep dive. But we are going to talk about repentance and teshuva, and the connection with healing in our lives. And again, it's not just physical healing, but but emotional or mental or spiritual healing. Um, so. What do they have to do with each other? Well, when we explore this, we have to go all the way back to creation. When God created the world, he created the world in perfection. I think we would all agree that the world was perfect. It, it says in Genesis 1.31 that when God saw everything that he made, it says, behold, it was very good. All right? God created perfection in the world. 
There was no sin. There was no conflict. There was no shame. There was no death. There was no disease in the world. There was none of that. That came into the world when sin entered the world. In Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world. And I'm not going to go through that whole account, but that brought into the world fear and shame and death and conflict and disease. It brought all of this into the world. And so when we talk about disease, whether we're talking about physical or mental disease or anything like that, we know that it exists ultimately because of sin. Now, not necessarily because of someone's specific sin, but ultimately because of sin in the world. The sin exists. That's why disease even exists to begin with. Now, we, we've talked about how it's not necessarily related to specific sin, right? We, we talked last week about in John 9, right? We, we read the story about how Yeshua healed a blind man that his disciples had assumed he was blind due to the sin of him or his parents. And Yeshua said, no. It's not that he or his parents sinned, but this happened so the works of God might be brought to light in him. That's in John 9, 3. Hey, AV team, AV team your, uh, your light just went out up here, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> Yeshua said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happens so the works of God might be brought to light in him. So, not every illness has a direct connection to specific sin. Sometimes God does have a bigger purpose. But, but it could be that sometimes when someone is sick or injured due to real sin, perhaps committed by them or committed, even sin committed against them, that injury and sickness can happen due to real sin. It could be physical sins, such as like drug use or physical violence or fornication that could cause physical repercussions in our body. It could be sins of the heart, envy, jealousy, pride, lashon hurrah. All of these things can cause us sickness and illness. It could be generational sin that is present in your family, Lador Vador, from generation to generation in a bad way, not in a good way. These could be due to specific sins. And they need to be healed by the Lord. They need to be. We need to be addressing them as part of God's kingdom. We are called to stand against the darkness of sin. I want you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Very familiar passage in Ephesians 6. The armor of God. Ephesians 6.10 The armor of God says, in, in, starting in verse 10, it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist 
when the times are evil, and after you have done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm then. Buckle the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Strap up your feet in the readiness of, with the good news of shalom. Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit on every occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests. With, it, with this in mind, keep alert with perseverance and supplication for all the Kedoshim. And pray for me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the good news, for which I am the ambassador in chains. Pray that I may speak boldly in the, the way I should. So, the armor of God helps us to stand against the darkness of sin around us. You're to stand firm against the spiritual forces of darkness, of wickedness in the heavenly places. Because, again, sin is not, it might manifest itself physically, but it's ultimately a spiritual battle that we're facing. It might manifest itself physically, but ultimately it's spiritual. So we are supposed to put on this full armor. And this armor and the weapons that it mentions, we have to remember that they are both protective for us and they're useful for going on the offensive as well. Okay? Um, I don't... I don't just see a sword as something that's, you know, defensive, right? Um, you might think of uh, other parts as being protective, the helmet and uh, breastplate as, as protective, but a, short, a sword and a shield, a shield is also protective, but a shield can be used as an offensive weapon too. Um, but the sword, the sword is also an attacking weapon against the enemy. And he's given us the sword of what? The spirit, right? The spirit. That's what we've been talking about. The healing power of the spirit. So we have this armor, okay? Another, another way that we've maybe heard some people talk about this, more in the sense of prayers. How many of you guys have ever heard of someone, when they pray a prayer, they're like, Lord, put a hedge of protection around so-and-so, right? Maybe you said it yourself. Where does that come from? It comes from Job. Job chapter 1, the adversary speaking to the Lord says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? His household and everything he has. God had put a hedge of protection that was keeping the enemy away. It was causing Job to have a life of blessing and abundance. It was protected from the enemy. So, whether you think in terms of armor or you think in terms of hedge of protection, hedges. You know, normally I don't think of my, of like a hedge, it's like a garden hedge, it doesn't seem too protective. But <laughs> think of God's hedge, that's probably pretty protective. I think it would keep the enemy out. Whether you think of those, whatever term you think of it as, what we need to understand is that sin 
creates a hole in the hedge or it creates a gap or chink in the armor. Unrepentant sin creates that. It gives space for the enemy, for the adversary and his forces of darkness to attack. It can allow a spirit of darkness to enter and to begin to torment and bring our spirit into bondage. Sin does that. Unrepentant sin does that. And we can close these gaps through repentance. We can close those gaps through repentance. But sin opens those gaps in our lives. And sometimes the sin might be sin that's actually committed against you. It might not even be something that you initiated. Sometimes you can be sinned against in a way that it was no fault of your own that created the hole in your armor, that created a gap in your hedge, and that you still need healing from. It doesn't mean it's your fault, but it does mean you need healing. And it does, the Lord can heal you, and he will heal you when we come to him. Sometimes we just need to say, that this is what happened to me, though. This does happen to people. And again, this also can be what happens with generational sin, too, in families. Sometimes we have to confess that to God, that generational sin. Things that happened to people in our past or our parents or our grandparents' generation. There's, there's holes in our, in our armor. There's gaps in our armor in, in, in the hedge. And when those are repented of, healing happens and progress then happens. We see a lot of examples of this in Scripture. There's a lot of examples of this in Scripture. Um, I'm going to highlight just three this morning. We could probably sit, sit here and highlight a hundred. But go to Joshua chapter 7 with me first. Joshua chapter 7. Starting in verse 2. It says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they reported to him, Let not all the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men need to go up and strike Ai. So don't, don't wear out all the people there, for there are just a few. So about three thousand men from the people went up there. But they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men, and they chased them from the outside gate as far as Shebarim, striking them down on the slope. So the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Joshua then tore his clothes and fell to the ground on his face before the ark of Adonai until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Alas, Adonai Elohim, Joshua said, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan? Is it to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content and dwelled beyond the Jordan. Oh, my Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has turned its back before its enemies. 
For when the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land hear of it, they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Then Adonai said to Joshua, Arise! Why are you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. Yes, they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. Now they have even taken of the things under the ban of destruction. So they have also stolen and even deceived and even put them among their own possessions. So the children of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. So they turn their necks before their enemies because they have come under the ban. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever is under the ban from among you. So you can keep reading that story, but the point is, is that Israel sinned here. They, they defeated Jericho, and God gave them specific instructions in the destruction of Jericho. And when those instructions were disobeyed, the Lord, he allowed them to suffer defeat from their enemies. People died because of this sin. They were defeated, and they weren't going to make progress any, anymore. They weren't going to make progress anymore. They, they disobeyed the Lord. And, and so he says, he's not going to be with you. I'm not going to be with you. They can't stand before their enemies. And that may be the same for you. It may be the same for me. When we are walking in sin... Are we going to expect God to allow us to stand before our enemies? Are we going to expect that? I just don't think that we can. The scripture is, just, that is clear that in example after example that that's not the case. The Lord revealed, if we kept reading, that there was a guy named Achan that sinned. He, took, he was the one who took the banned things from Jericho. That sin was dealt with in Joshua chapter 8. And afterwards, the Lord gave great victory to Israel. And you think maybe they learned their lesson, but they didn't, right? Because you go to the very next chapter, in chapter 9, and this time, it's not an individual that sinned, but it's the leaders of Israel that sinned. Joshua himself and the leaders, but they didn't consult the Lord. There was a group called the Gibeonites that came, and they're like, "Oh, we're so from so far away. Come make a peace treaty with us. We've heard about your greatness, you know." And they're like, "Oh yeah, your stuff looks really old. Yeah, you're probably from a long ways away. Yeah, sure, we'll make a peace treaty with you." Um, they did. They were deceived by these Gibeonites in Joshua chapter nine. They were deceived by them, and once it was revealed, you know, they, they did stand by their vow to protect them, even though they lived among them, and they, they were allowed to live among Israel as servants, okay? But, you know what happened? Over 400 years later, this sin came back into sight. 400 years I mean, that's a long time. It's longer than America has been around. Second Samuel. Go to Second Samuel chapter 21. 
Second Samuel chapter 21. Starting at verse 1, it says, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. So David sought the face of Adonai. Adonai replied, It is because of Saul and his bloody house, for he put who to death? The Gibeonites. The Gibeonites to death. So the king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of Bnei Israel, but a remnant of the Amorites. However, Bnei Israel had sworn a covenant with them. Yet Saul had tried to eradicate them in his, in his zeal for Bnei Israel and Judah. And David asked the Gibeonites, What should I do for you? How may I make atonement so that you would bless the inheritance of Adonai? He, he is exploring how to make repentance here, how to make teshuva here. But there was a, a sin that was born 400 plus years earlier that was still hanging with Israel, generation to generation. And Saul tried to deal with it, but not in the way that the Lord wanted him to. And because he tried to deal with it wrongly, God brought famine onto the land. He, he violated a vow that Israel had given. And God brought famine. He, he brought punishment into the land for three whole years. And so we see the sin coming back in sight. Once that was dealt with, the famine ended. Okay, again, it's bringing that to Shuba, that repentance that brought progress, that brought healing, that brought an end, in this case, to famine. So that's one example. Another one, if we go into Acts chapter 9, go with me to Acts 9, totally unrelated to this. This is Saul and his, Saul's conversion story. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the Lord's disciples, went to the high priest. He requested letters of introduction from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women belonging to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, but opening his eyes, he could see nothing. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he could not see and he did not eat or drink. Now there was a disciple named Ananias in Damascus, and the Lord said to him, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the house, go to the street named Straight, and ask in the house of Judah for someone from Tarsus named Saul. For look, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, 
I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your Kedeshim in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the ruling Kohanim to tie up all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a choice instrument to carry my name before all the nations and kings of ben in Bnei Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias left and entered the house, laying his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Yeshua, the one who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was immersed. And when he had taken food, he was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began proclaiming Yeshua in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. I'll stop reading there. The Lord blinded Saul. He told him of his sin. What did he say? You were doing what to me? You're persecuting me, right? He identified his sin to him. He blinded him. He needed to kind of stop him in his tracks. Sometimes sick, God does that with sickness. He gives us sickness to kind of push pause in, a lot, in our lives sometimes. Because we need, otherwise maybe we are not listening to him. He, he, maybe it's not a sickness, maybe it's something else in your life that's happened to you. And God's said, hey, he, he finds a way to get your attention, right? <laughs> what, what, whatever that way is, for Paul, Saul, it was that he was blind, blinded on the road. So Saul sat there for three days. He was fasting. He was praying before the Lord for three whole days. And when he was healed, he was released for ministry in Yeshua. He was able to go forward in that healing and do the Lord's work. Isn't that awesome, Alan? Yeah. He knew it, huh? Yeah. It made sense. He put it all together. You know, we could talk about a lot of other examples in, in, in Scripture. The point is that sometimes, not every time, but sometimes sickness or lack of provision or lack of progress in life is an indicator of sin. Okay? I'm not going to say this is an every time rule. Okay? But sometimes it is an indicator of sin. And it should be an opportunity for us to repent of sin, to, to search our souls, to repent, to receive renewal and healing and revival in our life and in our community. When we, when we see these things, okay, that we should, we should be asking God, God, are you, when do you reveal something to me? Are you trying to speak to me in this? What are you trying to, what do I need to know about the situation, Lord? Do I, do I need to repent of something? Do we need to repent of something? See, repentance is not an option for us. It is not optional for us who live or claim to live in Messiah Yeshua. It is not optional. Okay? And we, we don't do it just to receive healing. 
okay, just to receive provision or to, to make progress in life. We repent because God desires to be in right relationship with us. We repent to walk in righteousness with him because God desires truth in our inner being. Psalm 51.8. Several times in scripture, both in the Torah and in the New Covenant, we're told to take heed, to pay close attention to ourselves. Okay? This is that introspection. This is that soul searching that God talks about that leads to repentance, to take heed, to, to do that inventory in your life. We're, this is a command for us. It's not optional for us to, to have this time of introspection. Now, how many of you actually, how many of us actually take time for introspection on any regular basis? Yeah, some people do. And praise God for that. But there's a lot of us who fill our lives with so much busyness that we don't even know what it looks like. We don't even know how to start with introspection. As soon as we have some downtime, we're like, just almost get jitters. Like we need, like, our pacifier or something, whatever. That's called our phone. We just call, call it something else, right? We don't know what to do with ourselves whenever we have some downtime. I'm not saying that every time you have downtime, you should be like doing deep soul searching, okay? Um, <laughs> that might be a little tough, you know, but, but we need to learn to be quiet before the Lord, is my point. We need to learn to be quiet before the Lord. And, and you know what else is that Scripture infers that God does not hear our prayers when we're in an unrepentant state. Scripture infers that. In Psalm 66, 16 through 20, it says, Come and listen, all you who fear God. I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried out with my, to him with my mouth, and exaltation was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But surely God has heard. He has listened to my voice in prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. In 1 Peter 3, 12, it says, For the eyes of Adonai are on the righteous, and his ears open to their prayer. But the face of Adonai is against those who do evil. Okay. Our righteousness is not by our own doing, of course. It comes by the grace of Adonai. We're clothed in his righteousness. But if we're walking in unrepentant sin, we're intentionally not clothing ourselves in his righteousness in some area of our life or trying to walk like half naked or something you know you know that which seems weird when you think about it like hey i'm going to clothe myself in god's righteousness but i'm only gonna you know wear a t-shirt and i'm going to be naked from the waist down or something which would be really embarrassing if i actually walked around that way um 
But that's, I think, what we try and do sometimes. And our relationship with God would be really awkward if that's how we came to God that way. We want to have a right relationship with him, and that depends on us having a humble and repentant heart before him. We can't be in right standing with him without repentance. Repentance is required in our hearts to humble ourselves before him and repent. And healing also is depend, depends on repentance. If we go to James chapter 5, we'll see that healing also depend, can, can also, I'll say can, I want to qualify that there. It can also depend on repentance. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of Messiah's community and let, him, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save anyone who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So confess your offenses to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Elijah was a man with a nature like, our, like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. He prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that the one who turns a sin, sinner from the error of his ways shall save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Hallelujah. So we have here James, or Jacob, if you want to call him. He was the brother of Yeshua, leader in the Jerusalem congregation. He's commanding the sick to receive prayer for healing. And in the midst of that command, what did he say? He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Part of the requirement for us is that we confess to each other. Sometimes I need to go to a brother and say, I've sinned against you. Okay. Sometimes I have, to, I have to admit to others what I have done and confess to them so that I can be in right standing with them and with the Lord. Sometimes I need others to walk with me and pray on my behalf, pray with me, to overcome sin in my life. And maybe it's not just against them, but maybe it's just a sin that I've been dealing with. We could be dealing with something like that too. But it says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has made your prayer very powerful? I mean, he gives us this example of Elijah, right? He shut up rain for three and a half years for a whole region. That's nuts. He turned off the taps for three and a half years. And yet, when he prayed again, God opened the, opened the rain for them. Okay? He's just talking about the, prayer, the powerful prayer. I mean, this is like 
Yeshua is saying, say to this mountain and go, and it will go, okay? This is the prayer of a righteous person. Your prayer is powerful, and we need to confess our sins to one another and pray for healing and restoration for each other. We need to do that. You know, Paul echoed these words as well. Saul or Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, if you want to go there. Um, as he's talking about unity at the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27, he said, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But the man a man must examine himself and then let him eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For the one who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and quite a few of you have died. Quite a few have died. For if we were judging ourselves thoroughly, we wouldn't be coming under judgment. But when we are judged, we are being disciplined by the Lord, so that we might not be condemned along with the world. The Lord is correcting us. And we, don't, we shouldn't be faking it when we're with each other here when the Lord's correcting us. We need to confess our sins to one another. Our fellowship with the Lord, our communion, our communion to the Lord's table, that's our fellowship. It's dependent on us being in right relationship with him and with other people. And when that's off kilter, when we go and we approach the table of fellowship as if everything's okay, everything's just fine, the scripture tells us that for this reason, many are weak and sick and quite a few have died. But yet, if we walk in confession and repentance, we would not be coming under, under judgment. We, we need to walk in confession. We need to walk in repentance with one another. To walk in right relationship with each other and with God. And then we will receive healing. So what does this mean for us at Remnant? I'm going to close this out, so... I don't know if the uh, Shabbat school teachers and the smaller kids can come down. Um, here's The first thing is, again, as a reminder, is that let's not assume that everything that needs healing is a direct result of a person's specific sin, okay? Let's just be clear about that, okay? But we should also be open to the fact that those of us that need healing, we may have sinned, okay? And, and it... And sometimes that sin is not known to us, where we have to do some soul-searching. We have to have some introspection and ask God to reveal that to us. And so that's kind of the point, too, is that we should have hearts that are eager to turn from sin when it's exposed, okay? How many of you like to have your sin exposed? No, <laughs> right? I didn't see any hands raised here because it's not a pleasant experience. It's not pleasant, especially when it's real public. We don't like that. But we do need to be a people that are asking God to reveal our sin to us so that we can walk in righteousness. So that we have no holes in our armor. So that God's going to hear our prayers. You know, the final two verses of, of Psalm 139, it says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Examine me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Search me, O God. Know my heart. Examine me. Who better to examine you, right? If I, if I am feeling sick, I might go to the doctor, right? And say, doctor, examine me. Tell me what's going on here. What's wrong with me? Who is the ultimate physician? The great physician. I'm not saying that you should never go to a medical doctor, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm saying get yourself to God, the doctor. He's the great physician. He's the one who needs to examine us. He's the one who needs to tell us what's going on in our hearts, where we need to repent. This should be something we are doing with the Lord daily. We're walking with the God, God in this way. It's not so that we can just be healthy, okay? But it's so that we can be in right relationship. God does not require us to be in a perfect specimen of physical health or mental health to walk with him, okay? He does not require that. But he does want us to be in right relationship with him with hearts of gratitude that results from realizing the gravity of our own sin and the price that Yeshua paid for us. He, that's where we need to be understanding of this. So we don't, we're not just seeking physical healing just for the sake of healing, right? But we're seeking for the glory of the Lord so that we can walk in a relationship with him and that we can lead others for this as well. Okay? We're walking in repentance. We're walking in humility. We're practicing this daily. We're saying, God, search my heart every day. And then when we encounter other people in our life, this should provide an opportunity for us to walk them through confession and repentance as well. Walk them through an opportunity to hear the gospel, to see God break through in another heart that so desperately needs him and that God wants to heal as well. So that's what we should be reminded of, Remnant. We should be reminded that God wants you to come to them, to come to him. He wants you to be humble before him, to be repentant before him, to exchange your rags for his glory. And in that, you will be healed. Hallelujah. I'm going to end there. And uh, we're going to... Take the kiddish together. So if I could have a couple of people bring the table to the front here. And while they're bringing the table over, why don't you guys come on down? we are, as you're coming down, I just want to leave the invitation open that after service, we want to be here to provide you with prayer for healing. But I also want you to have in your mind that the Lord may be calling you
before him in repentance today. I don't, I don't know specifically what it is for you, but may the Lord search our hearts today. And not just today, but continually, that we may live before him in this way. So I just want to leave that invitation open, that after service, if you would like to receive prayer, some of us will be down here to pray with you in this way.